I know some of you personally that this was a tough year, that there were moments where you felt like I'm falling down again. For some of you, it was a, a huge year with old jobs, new jobs, some of you no jobs. And so that was hard. For some of you, it was family issues. That, that Those family issues kept coming up over and over and over again. For some of us, it was things in our past that come coming back to us. And they hit us again and again and again. And we feel like we're on the ground over and over. And for others, it was health. And you feel like, I, I can't get any traction. I can't get anywhere. And that's kind of what the year felt like. You're just getting beat up over and over again. And you're literally waiting for the end of it, for somebody just to slam you down and throw you to the ground and say, it's it, you're done. Because that's what it felt like. And here's the thing, though. Most of us feel like that every year. You get to the end of the year and you go, I am so ready for next year because this year just needs to be done. I don't know anybody, and, and maybe you said this, but I don't know anybody that's ever said, you know what, I sure hope next year is worse than this year. Because this year was just way too good. I cannot handle how good things were. So if next year could just be a little worse, that would really help out. Said no one ever. I don't know anybody that said that. We all say things like, I, I, need, I need a new year. I need a better year. Next year needs to go better than the last. This is why people make resolutions. We th- say things like, I need to improve my weight. I need to improve my finances. I need to do something in my life about that thing that's been on the calendar for two years that I never finished. If I could just get that done, it would be better. So we make these resolutions. We say, I need something new. I need to change things. I, I want something different. And the problem is that we get into the year and we go on and we repeat the cycle year after year after year. But we find out that that doesn't really bring any change. There's nothing special about the new year that starts the change. And then culture doesn't help because we're sold on the idea that all the change that needs to take place in our lives is outside in. And so it's like, well, if you just have this car, then everything's going to be in a better place. If you just did this, you're going to be, you know, it's going to look better. And that, that's the advertising over and over that we hear. Is if we just change something on the outside, we'll be better on the inside. That's why you see all the advertisements for those coat hangers that are also known as treadmills right now because everybody buys them because there's this idea that if I change the outside, somehow the inside will be better. And then it ends up in your spare bedroom and you hang your clothes on it because we just sort of give up. But the question that we want to look at, the thing we want to ask ourselves is, is actual change possible? Is real change possible? And that's what we're doing in this series brand new. We're talking about the idea that real change does take place. It's not change from the outside in. It's change from the inside out. And it actually follows up a couple of series that we've been doing over the past few months. We started out with this idea of finding our way back to God. And we talked about if I could just find my way back to God, maybe something, maybe there's something inside of me calling to something bigger than myself, and I know there's, I need something, I need to change things, where do I go for those answers? And so we find our way back to God. And we found that out in that series that the thing that keeps us oftentimes from finding our way back is our own stuff. The way we look at ourselves, the way we think about ourselves. And then we find that there is an invitation for anyone to come and find their way back. And then when we look at it, we see that honestly, the best or the, the, the biggest criteria to find your way back to God 
is the idea that you don't have it together, that you're messed up, that you are broken. It was the perfect people in Scripture that didn't find their way back. The same holds true for following Jesus. So we said, here's this idea of finding your way back to God. Then we say, okay, now that we've found our way, what does it look like to follow? And we found these invitations from Jesus to follow him and to experience change in our lives. And again, he says things like, if anyone would come after me, if anyone would follow me. And again, there's that word. And Jesus pointed out it over and over again. The people he looked for to follow him were the imperfect people, the people who were messed up, the people who needed the most change. And the people who didn't follow him were, the, again, the ones who thought they had it all together, the ones who thought they had it figured out. And then we get to this series, which is the idea that what happens, what actually takes place, what happens in my life when I find God and when I choose to follow him. Now, the Apostle Paul talked about this. He was a follower of Jesus, though it came after a time where he was anything but a follower of Jesus. As we looked at last week, Paul was one of these guys that Christians couldn't stand because he hated Christians. He persecuted Christians. He, said, he thought they were stupid. He didn't think Jesus made any sense at all. He, he saw his job, really, as shutting down Christianity. And Paul has an experience where he actually, and imagine this, comes face to face with the resurrected Jesus. That's going to change your mind real quick. And Jesus doesn't look at Paul and he doesn't, he doesn't say to Paul, you know, in this moment, there's not a, hey, Paul, you know, you've been messing with Christians. You've been messing with my people. He doesn't slam him down and put an end to his life. He looks at Paul and he says, I've got a purpose for you. I, I want you to follow me and I've got some dreams and purpose for you. Paul ends up becoming the most famous Christian of all time. In fact, his words are some of those powerful words in Scripture that we read. And, and the reason I say that they are is simply this. Paul had an experience with a very real God. And his life completely changed. And he had to start telling people about it. So he starts writing these letters telling people, look at the way my life changed. Look at what happened to me. And you can imagine, people don't want to hear this because they don't believe him. But he just keeps telling them. Listen, listen, look what happened. You won't believe the changes taking place in my life. And then he writes a letter to a church in a city called Corinth. And this is what he says to them about this change. And I told you last week that we don't know that he was thinking about this about himself, but as he's writing this letter to them, I can't help but think he has to be thinking about his own life. Because he says these words. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, and the new is here. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, this is what he says to these people. He writes to them. But how much is he probably talking about his own life? Look, if you would follow Jesus, I am a perfect example, he says, of what happens. The old is gone. The new is here. I am completely brand new. Now, I can't imagine there's anybody here that says, that just doesn't sound very appealing to me. Most of us would say, man, if I could get a fresh start, if I could get a restart, if I could get a do-over, if I could get a renewal, I would take it. And so all of a sudden we get this invitation to be made a new creation, to be made brand new. So we're hanging out with this passage over the next few weeks. 
just this scripture. But it's going to send us in directions to look at some other passages that help us to understand it a little bit more. So I want to begin to go through it. And I want to spend the rest of our morning on one small phrase that I think is incredibly important for us to begin to understand what it means and what it takes to be made brand new. So listen to what it says again. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to be in Christ? Well, Jesus talked about this. If you have a Bible, and you can read it on the screen as well, Jesus was talking to his disciples. And in John 15, somebody records the words of Jesus. Because again, they're important, they matter. He begins to write down what Jesus is saying about this idea. And this is how Jesus puts it. He looks at his disciples who are sitting down with him, and he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. Now, if you look at the word, the word father is capitalized here. He's not talking about his earthly father. He's talking about his heavenly father. He says, my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will, all, so it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Now, the idea of a vine in the ancient world was a, was a big deal, particularly to the Jewish people. It's a metaphor over and over again that we see in the Scriptures connecting the Jewish people to the kingdom of, or to the land of Israel. They, they talked a lot about this idea that they are like a vine that was taken out and planted here. So they come out of Egypt, okay? They go into their promised land that God has given them. And these people become like a vine that is planted in this promised land. And so Jesus then takes this metaphor that all of them understand. They all get it. It's something that they talk about. It's just part of who they are, part of their culture to understand this idea. And he says, you know that vine idea? And we talk about it a lot, the idea that we are a vine that has been planted here. We're to bear fruit for people to see. He takes that idea and he says, I am the true vine. It's kind of controversial, right? He says, the vine that we're talking about, this idea of this particular people, he says, no, no, I am the true vine. And then, listen, check out what he says. Then he says this, and he says, and my father is the gardener. Now, this is where it starts to get tough. Because now he says, look, look, I'm the vine, which means God's purposes are found in me. And then he says, and you're the branches, my followers. You're now a part of this. And the challenge comes in. Now, for the challenge to come in, we have to understand a little bit about gardening, which I know nothing about. I know enough about gardening to know that I'm terrible at it. I know enough about gardening to know that I don't really take the time to understand it. But I do have one plant in my yard that I kind of find fascinating. It's a plant that a couple years ago I found really annoying. 
it grows up by my garage, kind of when you're looking at my house, on the left side of my garage around the corner. And I would mow past this stupid bush all the time, and it was thorny, it was annoying, I would try to mow around it, it would get caught on my legs, it would scratch me, and I, I, hate, I hated this plant. It was just annoying. It was huge, it was all just jumbled, and just it kind of looked crappy, and it was just all grown in on itself, and there were just stuff everywhere. Well, then my neighbor came over. My neighbor Gabe came over with his daughter, and she's like, oh, there's some berries. She starts popping these berries off, and she's eating them, and Gabe said, hey, what are you doing? Those aren't yours. Those are Ryan's. And I was like, well, I, don't, I hate this stupid bush. And he goes, what are you talking about? This is awesome. It's like, I want a part of, I love a part of this vine, man. I'd love to plant this at my house. So then I started to take a little kind of interest in this thing. It's an interesting plan. And then I started thinking about, well, you know, the reason that it's so annoying, the reason that it's so frustrating is because it's not really living out its purpose. It's not really making berries. This plant has done, all it's done is it's, nobody has pruned it. Nobody's taken the time to cut back. Nobody's taken the time to to pull back from itself, to cut the branches back, and to, to help it to grow the way that it's supposed to grow. But once you do that, once you help the, the plant to get into the light again and start growing back towards the light, once you get rid of the vines that are growing in and itself, all of a sudden that plant begins to bear fruit. And everything begins to look a little bit different with it. And all of a sudden that plant begins to live out its purposes. Now the same thing that's going on with that is what Jesus is talking about here. See, a vine, like my berry bush, the vine that Jesus is talking about, when it's left on its own, you see what happens? It becomes all about self-preservation. And then, because it's only worried about itself, it fails to provide anything of value to its world. So Jesus talks about the same thing here. That was designed to bear fruit. And he looks at his disciples. And remember, these disciples, these guys are messed up. They don't have it all together. And he looks at them and he says, you're the branches in this thing. You are designed, you are created to bear fruit. But there's a little pruning that's got to take place. I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Then he says this weird thing. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. And in the English language, that seems like a strange word. You're already clean because of what I've spoken to you. I mean, that just doesn't, that seems very odd. It doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. But in the Greek language, it's actually a really interesting word what's going on here. Because the word clean is very similar to the word pruning. So they're sort of connected to each other. And the idea is this. These guys, when he said to them, come and follow me, he spoke a word to them about their lives, about who they are, why they matter, what kind of people they're going to be before they were ever convinced that they're going to be these kind of people. He looks at them and he already places value in these guys. He looked at, we talked about this in the first series, Matthew, the tax collector, who everybody hated, everybody despised, nobody wanted to be around him. They, honestly, they wish that Jesus would have just killed him on the spot. They don't, they don't want him to follow. 
But rather than telling this guy, hey, you're a worthless piece of garbage, Jesus looks at him and says, I value you. You're going to bear some fruit, so come and follow me. Now, you know what Matthew had to do? All of a sudden, Matthew had to give up the life that he had been living. See, he already gets made clean. He's already pruned back a little bit because he started to give these things up. The same is true with the fishermen. We look at Peter, look at Andrew. These guys are these boats and hanging out, and Jesus looks at these guys and, hey, come on. Come on, come, come follow me. They drop their nets. They give up everything in their life. Their dad is looking at them going, what are you doing? Where are you going? And they're like, look, I'm going to follow that guy. I'm going to follow the homeless guy with no shoes. He seems to have it together. But they were pruning some stuff. They were getting some stuff out because all of a sudden they realized the life that I'm trying to build, it's, it's not enough value. There's not enough here. There's got to be something more in life. So they follow this rabbi named Jesus, and all of a sudden they begin to find more value. They begin to bear fruit. So Jesus looks at them and he says, look, look, look. You've already been pruned a little bit, but there's going to be some more that's got to take place. This, this is a process here. So then listen to what he says next to them. Remain in me as I also remain in you. So now we hear this idea. He's kind of saying to them, look, there is going to be temptation to move away from this. You're going to get into this thing and you're going to sort of say, well, I don't know, I'm going to back out a little bit. I don't, this, this is getting uncomfortable. I don't like the, where you're cutting. Well, see, this is why this matters. Because what Jesus is saying is when the disciples started to follow, they didn't just all of a sudden get everything together as soon as they said, oh, I follow. It's all right. See, this is the problem a lot of the time with the way we look at Christianity, the way the modern church has looked at things, the way that most of us have looked at things. We look at people, we look at ourselves, and we think the day that they decide to follow, oh, they're perfect, everything's right. They should have it all together right now, right here. And then if they don't, if they disappoint us, then we're like, well, we thought you believed. Well, you're out. You must not have enough to believe. But Jesus is pointing out something really important here about faith. And this matters to those of you who are still unsure about faith. You think, I don't have enough to believe because I... I'm not there yet. Well, Jesus changes what faith is about here. Faith isn't just simply about, okay, I have to believe and then it's all fixed. All of a sudden, faith is about becoming. It's about a process. It's about taking some steps. It's why he uses the word follow. Look, you're not going to get to the end of the journey as soon as you start this thing, but you have to start somewhere. So he says, "Just, just begin the process. Just begin to follow. He says, and it's going to be hard, it's going to be tough, but just remain in me. And then he says this, look look what's going to happen. He says, remain in me as I also remain in you. And then he says, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. And Jesus points out something that is so simple, we already know this. He says, your life can't simply be about yourself. And think about this. How many people do you know that have ever said this phrase? You know, my selfish life this last year really made me feel good. Or, you know, somebody who says this, 
you know, I really feel like I was, uh, I was quite greedy this year, but I would, I would really like to enhance my greediness next year. I, I think that if I did that, I, I just feel like maybe I would just be a better person, you know. I just need, a, I need it to be a little bit more about me. I mean, if that was your friend, you'd be like, you're not my friend anymore because you're just simply a terrible person. Jesus is just pointing something else about us that we don't like to say. That sometimes we think, you know, I got this. I got this. I can handle this myself. If I just worry about me, I hate this stupid phrase. You do you, I'll do me. Get out of here. It's ridiculous. No. I'm worried about your life, and you should be worried about my life. If you don't have it together, and I don't have it together, don't let yourselves not be having it together. That's confusing. But you need to, but what he's saying is, look, it can't just be about you doing you. There's got to be something else. There's got to be something more. We all know this to be true. He just gives us the answer where to find it. Some of us have been spending our entire lives doing you. And it never works out. It never ends up in a place where you go, man, I'm sure glad that I did me all this time. What would happen if I focus somewhere else? What, what would happen if I put my trust and my faith not in myself, but in somebody else? Jesus says this, remain in me. The language of the older translations here is really cool. I love it. You might have heard this. The older translations say things like, abide in me. Okay? Abide in me as I abide in you. Another word for that would be dwell. Listen to that. Listen to that. It's so awesome. Dwell in me as I dwell in you. Do you know what Jesus is getting at? He's saying that our life is God's home. He's saying that your life and my life is worthy enough to be his home. Do you, do you understand the value that God is placing on you in that statement? That Jesus says, I want you to dwell in me. And I want to dwell in you. Your life is worthy of my presence. And so there's a really simple question then. What kind of space are you carving out in your life for Jesus? What kind of space are you allowing him to dwell in? Now look, this sounds cheesy, but it, it makes sense to me. When somebody comes over to stay at your house, unless it's like your in-laws, you don't say something like, oh yeah, I got a nice place for you. Uh, we set up a mattress in the back of the car in the garage. Uh, you can stay in there. There's a hose out front if you want to shower. Um, and uh, we'll just put breakfast on the doorstep. But for most people, we, we don't do that, right? When you have a special guest coming into your house, you're like, I want to give you the best possible place that you could have. Somebody that you honor. I mean, for Nick Klein, if Javier Baez said, hey man, 
I'm coming to Indianapolis. He's a Cubs player, by the way. And I want to find a place to, to... He still is a Cubs player, right? Now, yeah, I think he stayed. Yeah, okay. Dexter Fowler, we just ignore, but have your bias. He comes over, he says, Nick, I want to stay at your house. Nick's not like, yeah, stay in the shed, Javier. Right, you just, you just won the, the championship. Don't worry about it. Stay in the shed. Nick's going to be like, you get out of my house, bro. You get my bed, okay? You can stay as long as you want because that's how you would roll. That's how you would do it. But we don't even think about that with Jesus. We're like, all right, cool. Here, here. All right, Jesus, you want... I really appreciate the honor. I appreciate that you think that my life is worth dwelling in. I'll give you the attic, all right, where I put all the other crap that I don't need, all right? Then we say, okay, okay, wait, wait, wait. I can do better than that. All right. All right. You can have the guest room. That's fine. Have the guest room. He's not a guest. He wants a permanent space. You have to upgrade your house a little bit. I'm going to give him space. I'm going to say, look, I'll move my office. You can have this bedroom. This is just for you because you're going to stay a while. That's the picture. Dwell in your life. Let him dwell in your life. It's amazing that he looks at us that way. So Paul, who wrote that 2 Corinthians passage, talks about being brand new. In a letter to another church in the city of Rome, he talks about this idea. What does it look like for God to dwell in your life? How is that possible? What's that mean? So he says this in the eighth chapter of this, this letter. He says, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. This is a hard verse to read. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. So what is this flesh? What is this spirit? What is he talking about? When he describes flesh, what Paul is getting at is this ingrown, tangled up way of living where everything is turned inward back on myself and my needs and my stuff. Paul says, there are people who live like that. They live tangled up, ingrown, all about themselves. And he says, if you live like that, if you live like that, you can't live by the Spirit. You can't do what God desires. Jesus said you can't bear any fruit. Paul says you're not going to do what God desires. It's the same idea. But then he starts talking about this idea. But if you have the Spirit of Christ in you. Now, some of this stuff starts to get a little theological and a little hard to understand, but we have to talk about this to understand this stuff. When we talk about God, we talk about three persons. We talk about what is called the Trinity. God the Father, 
Okay? Jesus the Son and the Holy Spirit. Not three different gods, okay? Not one God three different ways. Three perfectly equal, same, one God. Three persons. Now, I could try to explain the Trinity until I get blue in my face all day. It's one of the hardest things you could possibly ever try to understand. The closest thing that I have ever seen that was the most theologically accurate and even seemed to make any of the most sense was the, movie, or the book, The Shack. And there's a movie coming out about it. And some people, they don't like it. They, think they, they, they get questioned about it. At least they attempted to try to help us understand this thing that we hardly ever talk about because it's hard to understand. But what Paul is talking about, what Jesus is talking about is we have God the Father. We have Jesus the Son. And we have the Holy Spirit, the Trinity of who God is. And the reason, the way that we can understand this Trinity, why why God is God, is because God so indwells within himself. That's how the Trinity holds together. The Father indwells the Son. The Son indwells the Father. The Father indwells the Spirit. The Spirit indwells the Son. There is this incredible unity and community that exists within who God is. And so sometimes we talk about things like, my heavenly Father. And we talk about following Jesus. We talk about being led by the Spirit. We're talking about the same God, but we're experiencing God in these different ways and these different things. God loves us so much that he has given himself to us in these different ways to begin to understand him better. And so he says, look, this is one avenue of this. You need to make space. And the way you make space is inviting the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, to dwell within your life. See, it becomes not just finding God, not just following Jesus, but actually saying, I invite you into my life. Guide, direct, move, and prune me where you need to. And when we invite God's presence spirit within us that is when we experience change listen to this he describes this change one one more little letter i want you to hear this in a letter to the people he called the letter to galatians paul says this so i say walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit right ingrown pull back this direction the spirit pushes out about something bigger than ourselves. And the Spirit, what is contrary to the flesh, they are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. And he gives us this list. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, faction, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And all of a sudden we look at this list and there's some things that are kind of foreign to us, right? We're like, I don't know a whole lot about witchcraft. I sincerely hope that most of you don't know a whole lot about orgies. You kind of look at it and you go, this is a weird list, but listen to this. Before you dismantle the whole list because you're uncomfortable with a couple things in it that you don't really understand, look at the rest of the list. Because he describes a world where we become tangled up 
and engrown on our own stuff. Sexual immorality is all about my stuff, what I want. It's about looking at somebody else and saying, I don't care about you and value you as a person. I just want to get off. That's a problem. That's ingrown. That's only concerning about my stuff. I don't like to attack technology and stuff, but that's why Tinder is a disaster on this world. Because it's all about, yeah, she looks good, I'd hit that. Oh, he looks good, I'd hit that. That's what we've come to. And God looks at people and says, I value you. I want to dwell in your life. And he wants us to begin to look at people like that. I want to know who you are. I want to see you as an individual, as a person that matters to God. Now look, the same thing with everything else that you see in this list. Hatred, discord, jealousy. You been on Facebook lately? I look, at, I look at the person and I say, you're just stupid. You just don't get it. You're just dumb. It's hard. <laughs> we disagree with the choices people make and the way they live. Yeah, sure. Sometimes it's tough. We say, I value you. There's hatred, discord, fits of rage. Selfish ambition. I don't have to tell you about that. You've got garages that have stuff that you don't, can't even put your cars in it because of that. I'm the same way. We all get that one. Envy, drunkenness. And then he says, and the like. Because he says, look, look, you get it. I don't have to name a couple of these for you to understand. It's all about me. But then look at the opposite list. Man, is this beautiful. Listen what he says. That, that is the tangled, ingrown way of living. And he says, look at this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Then he says this, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. They have cut it off. They have pruned it back. All of that is gone with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep with step with the Spirit. Now, if you're like me, if you follow Jesus, you probably go back and forth between these lists. But faith is a process. Faith is about moving and changing and experiencing change, being made brand new. And it requires every day that we wake up and one simple thing comes to mind. It's an invitation. Holy Spirit, I invite you to dwell in me today. When there are moments that I feel like I am going to get ingrown and concerned about my own stuff, convict me. Set me right. Push back against me. Now let me tell you right now, 
if you pray this prayer, God is going to convict you. The Holy Spirit will find moments in your life during your day where you're going to go, ouch. Yeah. So there is this push, this pull. Let's pray and then we're going to sing a song about this idea of inviting the Spirit into our lives. And and I want to challenge you over the next week, and then through your life as you follow Jesus. But, but, but begin here. Just begin each moment. J- just wake up each day. Holy Spirit, I invite you to dwell in me today. Help me to live in step with you. And I want you to see the incredible way that God will not only just work in you, but the way that God will work within this community that God will begin to change us. So let's pray that this morning. God, as we come into this space, into this place today, Father, as we look at some stuff that maybe is even hard to talk about, God, we invite your presence. We invite your presence into this space and we invite your presence into our lives. God, we thank you that you love us so much. That you have revealed yourself to us. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that you value us so much, you desire to dwell within us. God, let us take that invitation today. And we invite you into our lives to abide in us, to dwell in us, to live in us. God, help us to be more like you. And in the process, change us. Let's stand together and sing together.